0: The names behind the numbers, the stories behind the names. This is the Her Hoop Stats podcast with John Little.
1: Honestly, I thought she was the best player in the draft back in December. And I I based a lot of that off how she played her junior year. What she did in the final four her junior year is something that you can't teach.
0: The biggest newsmakers, the best storytellers, the Her Hoop Stats podcast. Here's your host, John Little.
2: Hey there, welcome in to the Her Hoop Stats podcast. I missed you. I'm your host, John Little. Thank you so much for being here. Did you know last week, uh, last Monday, was the first time that we did not put out uh, a weekly interview show over the course of, uh, well, the WNBA season? Uh, We did a great job just being on top of it every single week, but I did miss last week, so I apologize for that. But thankfully, to fill in the gap, we really appreciate Megan and Natalie last week getting together and doing another Unplugged podcast. It's a perfect time for it right in the middle of the WNBA playoffs, the WNBA finals, and so a really good time for one of those. Make sure to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. You know the drill. If you listen to podcasts, people are always asking you to do that. And you're like, oh my gosh, it's so much work. Got to go over there and pick some stars out and type some things in. And just, it's a lot of work. Yes, I know it's a lot of work. And I commend you. Is that what you need? Yes, I commend you for helping us out in that way. Uh, but in all seriousness, those those likes, those stars, those uh, positive reviews really, really do help out the show. And you can reach out to us as well at podcast at herhoopstats.com. Again, that's podcast at herhoopstats.com. And that's another way that you can interact with the show, whether it be the Unplugged podcast or if you have a reaction to one of the interviews we've had along the way as well. We want... To hear from you. So, what do we have coming up on the show this week? Well, we've got Brian Agler, the head coach of the Dallas Wings, and he's been around the block, of course. He's won a couple championships, one with Seattle, uh, one with LA as well, and now he's trying to do the same thing with the Dallas Wings. And boy, did he step into a tough situation. This offseason, he takes the job uh, late last year, and then Liz Cambage is not happy. And then uh, also, of course, right during that time, Skylar Diggins-Smith. It's uh, evident that she is at least going to miss the beginning of the season as she comes off of her pregnancy, and she ends up missing the entire season. So there were a lot of challenges for Coach Agler in his first year. And I live in Dallas, so it was interesting to see him go through this this year and he stood the course along the way he said this is just the first chapter in a very long book hopefully and you know we don't have all our weaponry everything we're going to have and so uh the wings did the best they could with what they had this year uh, but came up short they ended up finishing with the 10th best record they ended up getting the number two pick uh really exceeding expectations there in the WNBA lottery. So they've got the number two pick and the number nine pick. Of course, we're going to talk about that and how the wings are positioned. We're going to talk a ton as well about Arike Agunbawale. Uh, we've got a lot of stuff to go over here on the Her Hoop Stats podcast with Brian Agler. So I know you're going to enjoy this chat. Caught up with Coach Agler, and he was actually uh, out and about. He was back in his stomping grounds of Ohio.
1: Well, uh, doing a little bit of traveling, trying to, you know, trying to improve our roster for next season, trying to expand, uh, just my thoughts and coaching style and philosophy and and basketball itself. And, you know, doing that, you know, I just got back to Puerto Rico watching the USA national team play. Uh, went down to watch Enrique play and also wanted to watch some of these countries, different countries play. And then today, uh, I'm driving to Cleveland. I'm based in Ohio in the off season, So I'm driving to Cleveland. Uh, we're going to meet uh, with Christina Nigway, who's visiting her college coach, Lindsey Gottlieb, who was hired by the Cavaliers. So we're going to watch practice. John Beeline's the coach up here, and I'm looking forward to it.
2: You bring up a great point. How encouraged have you been to see the NBA and the transition over the last few years to bring in more and more and more female coaches? Uh, Of course, I'm sure some of them uh, you know very well.
1: Yeah, I really like it. Uh, I've always had the philosophy of trying to create opportunities for people that are really hungry to be in the profession. Um, I also like and try to give opportunities for people that, for whatever reason, lost a position for one reason or another and keep the people that like that that love to be in the profession, I think, that are really good coaches, keep them in and get them back into the business. Um, I like the philosophy of, like I said, creating these opportunities for these ladies that have dedicated their life to basketball and know quite a bit about the game that could be really good general managers or front office people or even coaches and let them learn from some of the best.
2: We're visiting with Dallas Wings head coach Brian Agler. And, Coach, you mentioned that you're using this time to kind of work on your coaching game. Has that always been something you've done, or has that become more and more of a priority for you as you've gotten more experience as a coach? Well,
1: I think the the game is always changing. You know, whether it be rules or how you play and points of emphasis. Uh, But I think some people make a mistake by sort of walling up their philosophy and not expanding on it. And, you know, whether it be offense or defense or how you uh, handle your personnel, how you communicate. I think because the world's ever changing, the game's ever changing, that if you're in the game, you better change with it and find a way to keep getting better as whether you're a coach or a general manager or whatever it might be, just like you would if you're a player. You've got to keep practicing and expanding your game. You have to do the same thing as a coach.
2: Well, Coach Agler, in addition to maybe bringing some new philosophies on board coaching-wise, uh, you'll also, as an organization, have to do some retooling this year with your roster. And you've got some ways that you can do that in the offseason – Uh, and I'm sure this is something that's been on your mind for quite a while, just knowing that your season wasn't going according to your liking, but how do you deal with that mentally right now, knowing that uh, you've got to do some roster turnover, but it's not quite time to do that yet, and especially because the CBA has not been negotiated, it's really not time for it. So how are you handling that right now? How do you not get impatient?
1: Yeah, you just have to sort of just like you would during the season or during the course of the game. sometimes you just have to wait for an opportunity to to, take, to come about and take advantage of it. You know and so it's almost like that now with our roster. We as young as we were last year, we were sort of tied up with cap restrictions uh, with our roster, whether we had players that were on guaranteed contracts that were not playing or the, the whole Liz Cambridge thing there before, right around the draft in a training camp where you know we couldn't we were just hamstrung on what we could do with our roster and so we just had to sit tight and wait with Mariah and with Skyler with Taylor Hill with Azure Stevens um, we just had a lot of things there that, that you know, their situations created a situation for us where we were uh, tied up, and we couldn't make a lot of roster moves. Now we're we've got a little bit more freedom, but we've got to wait at this moment to see how the CBA, the new CBA, is going to play out. To see, you know, what the cap's going to be. If, is there going to be a core restriction? Is there going to be what the what's the the max going to be? You know, all those things play into how you construct your roster.
2: Absolutely. Well, at this point, do you think about what ifs, or are there just so many? possibilities right now that you really have to let the chips fall where they may in order to know which direction you're going in the off offseason?
1: Um, you know, I think it's one of those where we're trying to position ourselves no matter what happens this is what we're going to do. If this happens we'll do this. If this happens we'll do that or try to do it anyway. Um, so we sort of understand you know, who the free agents are going to be. We sort of understand what our needs are going to be. We understand who we have on our roster that didn't play a year ago, how we feel like they can help us. You know, obviously, at the same time, trying to evaluate this draft and, you know, ha- what player is going to be a good match for us, uh, depending on what New York does at number one. Um, gauging that, you know, okay, so we've got the second pick of the draft. Are we gonna, Is it going to help ourselves more? To potentially trade that, uh, all those thoughts go through our mind, and we're conversing about that right now.
2: Brian Agler, the head coach of the Dallas Wings, is our guest, and you bring up a great point. You've got the number two pick in the draft, number nine as well. But uh, talking about number two, once you guys were able to slip up into the top two, how much more flexibility does that truly give the Dallas Wings? As opposed to having a, uh, just the number three selection?
1: Well, I always think that the, the, the higher pick that you have, the more options you're going to create for yourself, number one. So, you know, moving up, we, we thought we were going to be slotted at three there, you know, if the lottery would have held chalk. But we moved up one spot. Um, I think a lot of people evaluate this draft. I didn't say it. This is how it is. I'm, just, I'm saying this is how a lot of people look at it, as it's two players right there, and then you know there's a little bit of a drop off. I'm not. I'm not quite sure it's like that. I think it's a little going to be a little bit more deep than uh, what we anticipate right now, just because of how players come on during their senior year. Number one, number two, what underclassmen may come into the draft um, that people aren't talking about right now. So uh, we're real happy where we're at with the draft. Uh, obviously, it would have been great for us to get number one. Uh, but we feel strongly that at number two, that's going to create a really great opportunity for us one way or the other.
2: And how much scouting do you personally get to do during the college basketball season? How much will we see you courtside or in the stands in a given big game situation?
1: Yeah, I, I think that you'll, you'll see us out a lot, obviously, because of that know and especially in evaluating that not the ninth pick of the draft, you need, we need to see a lot of people because um, just we don't know what's going to happen in the first eight picks so we've got to be ready to make a decision based on who's available when that pick comes about. and to see and judge okay these are the, this is a group of players that could be there now is that is it going to help us more to keep this pick? Or is this something that might be valuable to somebody else? And we, in turn, could, you know, help ourselves in different ways, whether it be to move a year down the road and get another first-round pick whether we've added an additional player, or do we package that pick with something to go out and potentially get more of a veteran player? So all those things right now sort of, you know, what we're juggling in regards to our communication.
2: It certainly does set up to be an exciting off-season for you guys. Uh, maybe one of the most exciting off-seasons, one of the most captivating off-seasons of any WNBA franchise uh, with the way you guys are set up, with the picks you have, and then with just the roster of young, talented players led by Arike Ogunbowale. And I've heard you talk a lot about Arike this season, how impressed you were with her rookie year, and we'll talk about some of that, but I want to take you back to draft night 2019 in April and what went into taking Arike Ugunbowale. Was it a situation where you felt like she was a best fit at the time, or was she top on your board at that point talent-wise? Just how did it all break down that night and leading up to the draft? How did you end up with Arike Ugunbowale?
1: Well, um... Honestly, I thought she was the best player in the draft back in December. And I I based a lot of that off how she played her junior year. What she did in the Final Four her junior year is something that you can't teach. You know, when you have the the genes to go out and just hit game-winning shots at the biggest moment, that's something special. And, you know, not only did she do it once, she did it twice. So I always felt having that mentality and that kind of bravery and heart that that was a special ingredient to have as a player and to do well in our league. Uh, But I also liked her ability to play in the open floor and just to create shots on her own. If you, you know, watching these games tonight or the finals here, um, you see teams and the best teams in the league have people on their roster that can, when things break down they can go out and get baskets by themselves, you know, they can separate, they can get a good shot. So, you know, with when you watch Washington, okay, so who do you have? Okay, you got Elena Deladon that can do that. Messman can do that a little bit in one on one situations. You know, Christie's even getting better at that. Then you go to to the to the Connecticut side, you got Jockwell Jones that can do that. You got uh, Williams that can do that. You know Uh, jasmine thomas can do some of that so my point is all good teams all great teams have to have players on their roster that can do those things and i thought she was probably the best in the draft of doing that a year ago now on draft night as we projected that how the draft was going to go we didn't expect the rique to be there at number five we felt like she was going to probably go three or four. I thought New York could have surprised people by taking her, if I remember right, at, at number two. But um, they didn't. And then uh, in Chicago, where we felt like she was going to go, uh, moved with Katie Lou, and then Arike was sitting right there. And then for us, you know, because of what our needs were at the time with Mariah and Skylar being out, uh, and because of the, her abilities, we felt Enrique was the best fit for us, although there were some other good players on the board as well.
2: And I think this is going to be asked about uh, Nafisa Collier, and I've heard it asked about Nafisa this year, but as far as Enrique goes, what do you think caused the draft day slip? And uh, I don't know, maybe you haven't asked around the league a bunch, but uh, it ends up in really good fortune for you guys So what caused her to slip to number five?
1: Um, I think people looked at uh, Rike as, okay, she doesn't have great length. So, you know, how is she going to fit in to the league when she's going to have to play more of an off guard? I thought that they probably evaluated her. not just looking at, you know, critiquing her, other people critiquing her, not necessarily my evaluation. But um, her – she – People thought she was a volume shooter, that she wasn't as efficient uh, of a score as they would have liked. So I think those two right there. And probably the third is that Notre Dame played a lot of zone defense and that she would have to make an adjustment defensively of being, being able to play man-to-man. So I think those three things uh, played against her. But, you know, it's, it's like anything else. It's what you – value, it's what you can overlook, what you feel like you can teach, what your needs are, and uh, I just felt like that was a perfect fit for us.
2: Talking with Brian Agler, the head coach of the Dallas Wings, and continuing with the Arika conversation, uh, we've gone on ad nauseum about her offense and where she ended up, uh, over 19 points a game. She was uh, just incredible there, Uh, but With her defense, it did seem like, and I'm not a big X's and O's guy, I'm not a basketball savant, but it did seem like early on in the season, teams were trying to pick on her in the pick and roll and get her isolated uh, a little bit. How did that develop over the course of the season? How did her defense get better? Where was her defense at the start of the season and how did it improve? And and where does she need to go?
1: Well, I think, she and most people can keep getting better defensively, but I think it all, it's all based on how hard do you want to compete defensively? Um, and I think that that was a people judged her as somebody that didn't work as hard defensively as they would have liked. And, and honestly, she had to make strides that way and she'll have to continue to make strides that way. But she made the biggest leap in that direction of, um, you know, how, just competing hard, getting back in transition, transition defense, being great at the point of attack, which noted, what you noted earlier, pick and roll defense, the ability to go out and pressure the basketball. One thing about Enrique that people that I like, and I found out to, it to be more of a strength of hers, than even I consider it an evaluation, is how athletic and strong, physically strong, she is, and that's gonna that those two attributes are going to really pay dividends for her as she moves forward. She's really athletic and fast, quick, and she's physically strong. So she's going to have the ability to guard multiple types of people as time goes on.
2: I appreciate you taking that deep dive on uh, Rike there. And another young, talented player with lots of raw skills is Christina Nigue, who uh, you got in the Teresa Plessence steal, which hopefully that works out for everybody involved. Uh, but Christine is obviously a physical specimen with long arms, suction cups for hands. She's got a lot working for her, but what does she need to do to be the biggest factor she can possibly be in this league?
1: I think Christine is a natural rebounder and probably a natural defender. She's very, very versatile defender, um, and she's got a great knack uh, for the basketball. So when a ball goes up in the air, off the glass, off the rim, she can go get it. That, I think those are natural traits for her. I think where she needs to really grow at is, one, she's going to have to expand her range, which most players, post players have to do coming out of college. And number two is she just she just needs to become more polished. You know, she, there's a rawness to her offensively. Um, and then it gets exposed when you start playing more in crowds. It gets exposed when you start playing against more at length that you play against in our league. It gets exposed when, um, you know, you're sort of – you're a little bit in a tight window and what's your offensive game, what you do. So all those things uh, she's going to have to address and we're going to have to address with her as we move forward.
2: And I've had this discussion with a couple other head coaches in the league. When you have a young, impressionable player like that, what's the best way uh, for her to get those skills? How do you reinforce them when they're uh, going off uh, overseas most likely and you're not going to see them for quite a while? How do you reinforce those things and make sure that they they pick them up and, and take that next step when you don't have them at your disposal?
1: Yeah, it's going to be a combination of what you just said. It's going to be getting more experience playing overseas, going to be more experiences just playing the game. It's going to be, a, once we get her back, doing getting a lot of reps. You know, we've given her some general things to work on when she's overseas. It's just it's everybody gets into into different environments when they travel. Like, she's going to be going to China here at the end of this month. And um, who knows? I, I know they'll put a lot of time on the practice floor, but what we'll, we'll kind of skill development will they have? Well, it's going to come down to, really, her a lot in regards to, okay, i I'm going to have to put my own individual time on uh, developing some of my skill uh, when I'm overseas. But once we get her back, then we'll try to not only improve her skill-wise, but try to improve her in a way where she can be a positive for our offense. And then defensively, she's going to pick things up. She's really mobile and long and block shots and can rebound. And, and she has good instincts defensively, so I've enjoyed that part
2: of it. Brian Agler, the head coach of the Dallas Wings, is our guest and i want to know just besides getting the best player you possibly can at number 2 or doing the best you can with the the draft as far as talent acquisition goes in the off season what are the one or two things you know you need to do and and i've heard you talk a lot about how you need to be able to get some more players that can create shots on your team so maybe besides that what are some other things you can add to your team for 2020 that is going to make the biggest difference?
1: Yeah, so we feel like we're going to address some of those the the, the playmaking abilities just with the addition of Skylar and Mariah. You know, I think people that have uh, that know them that can you know especially remember Mariah her days in San Antonio a little bit a year ago in Vegas, and of course Skylar being an all league player like she is. People understand their their ability to play the game and how you know their game is not only to create for themselves but to create for their teammates. So it's going to be there's going to be some good addition there uh, from that regard. I think we need to get a little bit more veteranship. Uh, So that means going into free agency or making trades to acquire some veteran players. I think we're going to need to keep improving our. um, our perimeter shooting, which, you know, all teams, you know, obviously want to address that. Um, so, you know, getting a little bit more experience, improve our veteran presence on our team, and then just keep working on our culture and keep working on the ability to play together. And, uh, you know, that comes with just getting on the practice floor and, you know, living together, you know, uh, for months and years down the road.
2: Well, you've been uh, not only hard at work sharpening your skills and starting to think about what else you need to do to improve your team, you've also gotten out and done a little bit of analyst work for ESPN uh, during the WNBA playoffs. And I'm I'm curious to see, as a head coach in this league, and a, a longtime head coach, and everybody knows everybody in this league, how do you analyze and try to be thoughtful and try to really add something there without, um, you know, without being controversial and, and stepping on toes? How do you do that? Yeah,
1: I mean, it's always dangerous. I think you have to, uh, I sort of trust myself because I try to always be, in you know, all walks of life, be very respectful of people. And especially because of my respect for our profession whether it be towards players or towards coaches and understand how difficult it is and understand that, you know, we're sort of, you know, when you're, you live in a a glass house where everybody can sort of see you and evaluate you and uh, and critique you. And so I want to always be sensitive to that. So it's always dangerous for coaches to get on there. At the same time, you know, I think you can address issues in an honest way if you, You know, if you position yourself on to to make a certain statement or another, um, you know, I I think it can be handled. But it's something you just can't go in and and speak off the wall um, and address issues that way.
2: Is that something you want to do down the line in more of a a color role, like uh, during a live game?
1: Yeah, I haven't really done much of that. I'm going to do seven games that way this season for Texas Tech. Uh, Their women's team, Marlene Stallings, out there. She's an Ohio person. I've known Marlene for a long time, and she's asked me to do that. So I'm looking forward to that. I enjoyed the in-studio with ESPN the other day. Um, So, you know, it takes a lot of experience. I'm far from being very polished at it, but I'm intrigued by it, and I, I enjoyed my time there at ESPN.
2: Well, that's really cool. I'm looking forward to watching you. I hope to uh, be able to see on the uh, ESPN Plus or whatever those are on this year. So uh, looking forward to that and really appreciate your time today, taking some time out of uh, your schedule here in the offseason. Thank you for your time, Coach. You're welcome, and uh, hope to see you in Dallas uh, this coming season. Brian Agler, a guy with a ton of skins on the wall in the WNBA can he get it all turned around in Dallas it's going to be fascinating to watch over the next few years really appreciate his time and thanks to you for joining us as well here on the Hurri Hoop Stats podcast just give us a quick rate or review whenever you get time on Apple Podcasts we appreciate it and if you liked this conversation maybe you're a Wings fan maybe you're a a fan of uh, Notre Dame basketball Uh, maybe you're just a, a women's basketball fan in general give it a share Share on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Share it out there. Let people know about it. It really helps the show grow. Be looking out for another Unplugged podcast this week, I believe, as the WNBA Finals roll on. Uh, So hopefully we get five games out of the deal and it goes absolutely as long as possible. Appreciate you listening this week. Thanks to our guest, Brian Agler. And of course, the announcer on the Her Hoop Stats podcast is Susie Solis. Our music by Jared Deck, Music.com. Aaron Barzla is the Executive producer, and I'm your host, John Little. Until next time, reminding you that at the Her Hoop Stats podcast, we are unlocking better insight about the women's game.
0: Her Hoop Stats.